Today's scripture is taken from Isaiah 65, verse 10, and 17 to 25. Uh-oh, my eyes are getting bad. Um, <laughs> Sharon will become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Accor, a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live, live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child, and the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and eat others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will, be, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Les Lane, who just read the scripture for us, is also going with us to Bolivia which we're very happy about. I was checking out some videos recently on Bolivia, what's news in Bolivia these days. And we're moving into their summertime. This is uh, moving into spring, the end of the winter. And it's been very, very dry. So places where there's uh, normally rain, there hasn't been rain and particularly in the La Paz area and the big city El Alto, which is above it, and then Lake Titicaca, which is beyond that. So they haven't received the rains, because the rains come from really, well, it's the season, the wet season supposedly, but also there's glacier fed from the mountains. As you know, the glaciers are all receding worldwide, and so they're having real water problems. So uh, that's one area what we could be praying for. The, the future of La Paz is, uh, is a bit in jeopardy right now because of not having the water. So particularly in that part of the, the country. So like there's a big uh, prayer meeting that of sorts um, driven by the indigenous folks who live in that area uh, calling for and praying for rain. So that's uh, going on this weekend, I believe. So Lake Titicaca that uh, Darcy was talking about, it has receded quite a bit. 
So it's interesting. So where we are going in Cochabamba is, is still fine, but uh, it's just struggles, struggles that the country is dealing with in these days, so we could be mindful of that. Yeah. So it's Thanksgiving Sunday, but I thought we'd push ahead uh, with our series with Christ in the Valleys of Life, and as I thought about it, I thought this text that we're looking at today suits Thanksgiving, I'm calling it the Valley of refreshment. Um, and you'll note that in this text as it was read, uh, there's a statement in Isaiah 65, 1, here I am, here I am. That's God speaking. Here I am, here I am. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask, the prophet says, to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not call on my name. So that here I am is a, is a repetition of the text we looked at a few weeks ago in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 9, where it says, here is your God, God is coming. Remember that piece that we looked at, another wonderful piece from Isaiah. Behold your God, your God is coming. Here, God is coming. And here we have the text, here I am, here I am. So I think as a segue to where we're beginning, that's an important piece because God reveals himself. We hear these kinds of references throughout the scriptures. So it's not like God is hiding himself. So we often think that, right? Because God is invisible, we think, and he seems like a, far, a long, long way away, distant God. And so therefore we think he's not speaking. And then we get very caught up in our own worlds and distracted by many, many things. And again, we keep listening and saying, well, is God speaking? So he may well be speaking, but we're not hearing. We are not tuned in to the right frequencies, if you like. A little old radio getting into the right spot. So the text begins by God saying that I speak. Here I am, here I am. So this text is written, right, there's questions about it five, six, seven hundred years before Christ, depending on how one lands, 400 years, but a long time before Christ. Here I am, here I am. And then, of course, God comes in Christ, God incarnate in Jesus, saying, here I am, here I am. And we know what happened to Jesus. Many people didn't respond to him favorably. Ultimately, he's crucified. So in spite of here I am and revealing a life of love and compassion, our response was not positive in terms of humanity. So God continues to speak. God speaks in this season of thanksgiving. And Protestants over the years have talked about God speaking through creation. Two words, if you like, two words. There's the word of creation, and then there's the word of Scripture. God speaks to us in both, through his creation and through his scriptures, his word. So we have this great word, if we look around and see it, that points us to God. And of course the scriptures, which is our main director, here I am. So that this settling into the text, we hear it. So how are we listening is a question we ask right off the top. Am I listening to this voice? And can I determine where God is speaking to me? Because he is speaking. 
So that's where we begin. The valley of refreshment. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. So we have two names there, two place names, Sharon, the plain of Sharon, and the valley of Achor. So we have a map here, and if you look at the great sea, the big blue on, on your left up there, right, that's the Mediterranean Sea. And right in the middle, uh, maybe I have a thing here. Yeah, there we go. See, the plain of Sharon. That is, when you hear the word Sharon in Scripture, that's what it's talking about. This plain that goes north-south along the coast of Israel, along the Mediterranean. That area was indeed very fertile, still is. So it's an area where, you know, one can grow good things. It's, it's a prosperous region, always has been, in terms of, of uh, agriculture. So the plain of Sharon. So normally, when we're going to look at this from the Song of Songs in a couple of weeks. Christ is, uh, you know, the lily of the valley and the Rose of Sharon, those, that kind of language. So Sharon is always imaged as prosperous in meaning fertile, abundant, God's blessing, okay? So that's that area. And then when you go over to Jerusalem, which we hear about constantly, uh, in Jericho, where have we got that? Well, there's Bethlehem there, so it's in that region right there. This area here along the Jordan, that is the Valley of Achor. So the Valley of Achor is on the other side of the country, more on the east, and it runs along the Jordan River and beyond. So it's on the east of the Jordan. So the, the, the imagery is going from west to east. And so when the text says and reminds us Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. It's meaning God's blessing right across the entire land, all right? So it's a time of prosperity. Interesting, right? So that's quite ironic in light of what's going on today in Israel and with the war in Israel and Hamas in the Palestinian state. Lots of difficulties there, lots of tension for many years, and now it has flared up into something very violent. So who knows where that is to be going. So when the psalmists say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, this is a good time to be praying for Jerusalem and for the country. So that is sort of what we're looking at when we, when we begin, right? That region. And the pivot point, so well, we'll just we'll move on. Here we go. Oh, there we go. I knew Sharon had, Cheryl had done something. <laughs> so there's that first place, and then we have another one down there. All right, so it's a bit, Jericho is the region that we're, we're looking at. Yeah, very good. Sharon becomes a rich, prosperous place in the Valley of Achor, which is a place known for disobedience. Actually, if you know your Old Testament, and where's San? San, if she's here, reads through the Old Testament all the time, many, many times. But there's a story in Joshua chapter 7 where there's an individual named Achan. And Achan, this is when the people are going into the promised land, Joshua 7, right? 
book of Joshua as the children leaving the desert going into the promised land. And Achan, an individual of Israel, is enamored by all the wealth that he's seen when they go into the land. And the wealth of the land is considered God's plunder, if you like, in the day. It's not plunder for the Israelites. It's not plunder for you and me going in so that all of a sudden we can take it and get rich. No, no, no. That was not allowed. Well, unfortunately, Achan goes in, sees all this, bars of gold and so on, and he says, hey, I can, I can make good on this. So he takes it, he steals it, if you like. And then he goes and then he hides it in his tent. Now that story doesn't seem so far-fetched, does it? People are stealing things all the time. People take things. So the, 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 the response of Achan is not really that unusual. But that's what he does. He knows that he shouldn't do it. He does it. He takes it. And then ultimately... God is displeased, and Achan and his family and so on are punished. So you can read Joshua 7 if you want all the details, all right? It's an unfortunate story. So the valley of Achan is associated with, or the valley of Achor with Achan. So it's known as a place of disobedience. It's a place where people have not been, if you like, it's known for their faithfulness in following God. And here Isaiah is saying, all the way from Sharon, right over to the valley of Achor, the land will be blessed. So in spite of what's happened in the past with Achan, God forgives the people, loves the people, and the people are restored. That's, that's the story, right? So it's a story of restoration, but that's the context of you know, Israel. It's interesting, uh, if you visit Israel, almost everywhere you go, there's some sort of biblical story behind where you are. So, you know, there would be lots of Christians right now in Israel who are traveling the country because it's a big draw. And, you know, some of them are going to be stuck there and hopefully they'll be, they'll be safe. But you pop in, you go there, and all of a sudden it blows up into something you know, really unfortunate. Anyway, that's the, the setting. And then you note, though, how it turns, and this is the pivot point. These are blessings for my people who have sought me. It's blessings for those who are listening, see? Those who are giving God time, if you like. Those who have an open heart. Those who are receptive, because otherwise you're going to miss it anyway. So it comes back to that point, are we listening to God because his blessings are there for us if we will listen? The blessings won't always be in tangible, monetary ways, right? But the blessings are just as real, maybe more real. In fact, there's a contrast here in verse 11. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, note, who set a table for fortune capital F, and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, capital. So those two words in the Hebrew reference Babylonian gods. There are star gods, Jupiter and Venus. 
It was an astrological world in the East, right? Persia, Babylon were very big into astrology, and you can imagine 3,000 years ago or so, the stars and the planets there every night, and you're looking up at this incredible night sky, they, they take on a lot of power. And so in that world, Jupiter and Venus were, were gods. They were Babylonian gods in their minds, okay, in the East. And, as I said before, the Israelites often adopted those gods to just settle in. And so there are the gods of fortune and the gods of destiny or fate. So the text before is, for my people who have sought me, verse 10. And then verse 11, but you who forsake me, set a table for fortune and fill cups of destiny. So setting a table for fortune, well that sounds like a lot of just making money your God, doesn't it? Money is your God. Money's my God. We want to make a fortune. So then we live our lives to make that fortune. We can get sucked into that. And we certainly know people. Man, I remember way, way back in my, one of the first groups I ever had back in Royal York Baptist Church. And we had a group in our basement, and I had a guy, there was a magazine called Millionaire in those days. And he got that magazine every month because his big goal in life was to be a millionaire. Now, we're looking back 40 years, right? Way back when. That was his goal. And, and you know, we still know people. Not, nothing wrong with wanting to be a millionaire. A millionaire can be fine. But for him, it was an overarching passion. It was just, it was his life. It was like a magnet that just sucked every moment of his life and all his energy. That's what he wanted. Fortune. Not sure whatever happened to him. He was with us for a couple of years. He never made the million when I knew him. But maybe he went on to do it. I don't know. But I hope he didn't totally forsake God in, in all of that, and that's the deeper question. So, you see, w things haven't changed that much. Do we really want to know God or not, right? So there's the opposite. We just talked about it. So we end this first little unit is what do we really want? What do you want? What do I want? Now, you know, that's kind of a deep question. What do I want? So you, in the new year, we often reflect on that when we start journaling. The new year comes in. It's not that far away. What do I want in the 2024? What do I want right now? It's good to have goals, objectives. But there's that fundamental baseline, right? What do I really want? Talked about my dive buddy who just died a couple of weeks ago. And John, you know, was a very vigorous, adventurous guy. Got sick and had a long sickness, but he could still work. It was kind of back and forth. Brilliant guy. An academic. Published, uh, I don't know, 50, 60, 100, I don't know, articles, journals, several books. Do all of that, right? And then your day comes, and then, then that life's over. 
And with Christ, we have new life and new hope. And I'm sure John is in the presence of God right now, and, that, and that's, that's our hope, but we'll look at that. But, you know, we only have so many days on planet Earth, right? So what are we actually going to do with them? Carl Rahner likes to ask the question to Christians, this is your opportunity to be a Christian. He puts it that way. Meaning this is your one life to follow Christ, to be a Christian. So what do we do with that life? Christian tradition, right? We don't believe that we have thousands of lives. We're not reincarnated to the next trip, and trip after that, and trip after that. That's not our tradition. One life to be a Christian. How do we live that life? So, the text kind of sits there as we end. That's the first unit. And then it goes on to this great verse of grace verses of hope that follow a bit farther along. For I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. So now it's fleshed out. What are, is our hope? Here I am, your, I am your God. Here I am. Will you listen to me? Well, now God's work of recreation. And it's pictured from the big scale to the little scale. And the big scale is a whole, new, a whole new galaxy, a whole new earth. The biggest scale. A new earth, a new heavens. And that could, be, that could be a renovated earth. It can be interpreted various ways. Renovated, healed earth. Or it could be a brand new earth. Could be a new universe. But it's on a macro scale, God's work in the biggest sense for you and for me. And then that's contrasted with the micro, which is Jerusalem. So God creating a new universe for us, and then on the small scale, recreating and energizing the city of David, Jerusalem. See, both sides there for us to see. Note, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. I added this verse just because I like it. Listen to it. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime here for one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. Interesting text, don't you think? Everybody will live a hundred years. You see what I mean? That's the image. It's, it's, it's a picture for us of, of God's blessing. Of the richness of knowing God and ultimately of Christ. This is God's blessing. So here we have the characteristics of joy and the characteristics of longevity. So what it is not, it is not weeping and it is not insecurity. What it is, is a quality of life of all ages, a reordering of all things. So this is the great Christian hope. So, you know, we live in a, in a world where climate change is going crazy. We talked about it in Lake Titicaca area, the, the lake's fading away. So on one hand, that's, you know, that's, that's discouraging, downright depressing, that this is happening to our planet. And so, you know, we can get, become very negative about all that. 
just we get depressed. But in Christ, the invitation is to, to yes, do all we can right now to heal the, the, the earth, but to also go forward in hope that we know that God ultimately will renew the earth. So th there is that hope for us in one way or the other. Because ultimately, the earth is not in our hands, it's in God's hands. So it's a, an encouragement, it's meant to be that. But not in the sense of just saying, well, it doesn't matter and don't not do anything anymore. That's not the point. We should do all we can. God's stewards of his planet. Reends with the reiteration of the fundamental theme. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And then this lovely statement, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my mountain, my holy mountain, says the Lord. That's an echo of Isaiah 11. You remember that wonderful text in Isaiah 11? God's blessing in nature. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Lion shall eat straw like the ox, right? So it's, it's an image of peace. So it's that repetition of God listening, caring for us, his blessings in our life. So having heard that, what do we do with it? Well, the first point is the emphasis on access. We have access to God. Paul writes, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. That's all about access. We have access to God. We have access to God in a way that the folk years ago did not have to fortune, Jupiter, or fate, Venus, no. We have access to God, just the text tells us. No longer strangers, no longer aliens. That's a beautiful statement. So, again, will we take advantage of that, that access? Secondly, we are invited to have peace, shalom. It's interesting, the name Jerusalem, Salem is shalom. It's, it's, it, Jerusalem is really the city of peace. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So when we say the word Jerusalem, and when the text emphasizes that on the micro level, we shall have peace. Jerusalem one day will be a city of peace in a wonderful, beautiful way. But peace in our own lives, shalom now, that's, that's the promise in a text like this. Thirdly, trust. And note, it's trust moving beyond optimism or pessimism. It's not saying I trust only when things are going well in optimistic times. But it's also not saying I don't trust in pessimistic times. In times when there's a curve downward. We all experience that. My friend was dying. Being very ill for the last year. It's going down. Pessimism can take over. But the idea of trust here is an active trust Trusting in God, whether it's good times or bad times, optimistic times or pessimistic times. Will I trust? See, will I hear God's voice then in either, in either part, one side or the other side? 
where the ledger lies, where, where, what will my attitude be? The invitation to be trusting in those situations. And finally, hope, a trust, a vision of hope. The vision, the valley of Achan, valley of Achor, in those tough areas of life to still have some hope. Hope in God. The horizon we live to is a horizon of hope. Going into this fall season, whatever challenges, hope. Not just Pollyanna hope, but hope in God, an act of hope in God who is there for you and for me. And all of that then means, can I have a thankful heart? Can I be grateful? Someone has said, you know, if you want to be a healthy person, you have to be grateful. <laughs> if you're not healthy or grateful, you won't be healthy. It's impossible. To be a healthy whole person flows from gratitude. If you're always complaining, always critiquing, always negative, that will suck into your, your spirit for sure. So how will we be? So we go back... Access, shalom, trust, hope. So maybe there's something there that we can hear and receive, hear from God. And I don't know everybody here this morning, but you may be here and wondering how you can tap into that. Well, you can. You can tap in because God is the God who speaks. He speaks to you, he speaks to me. So part of our initial action is, will I open up my heart? Will I say, God, speak to me this day? Help me to know. Help me to listen. Jesus has done all this for us. He's created access. So may we move through the door, move through the door. Jesus will open the door, and we can have life. We can have hope. In Christ's name, amen.